following is a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more information on Shaw, for our teaching resources, visit www.shaw.org.nz. So we've looked at a couple of Psalms so far, and this morning uh, we're going to look at Psalm 139. So if you've got a Bible... Uh, Good time to pull it out. If you want a Bible, you can grab one from the Info Center. If you've got a Bible app on your device, uh, you can can boot that up now. And Mickey Brooks is going to come and read the Scripture for us this morning, Psalm 139. Thanks, Mickey. One of the uh, most famous paintings, surely, in the history of the world is Michelangelo's The Creation of Adam on the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. Anyone been there? Actually, oh my goodness, you're joking. You've not actually been there. How many? Hands up again. Okay. All right. The rest of us, we're taking a church trip at some (laughs) stage. We are going to Rome. So Sistine Chapel, and well, those of you that have been there, you know, this painting is just part of the whole fresco that he painted on the ceiling of the chapel, right? Just, it it seems like quite a small part of the whole thing. He's done three huge panels, uh, which depict all sorts of biblical stories. But this is the most famous, one of the most well-known Uh, easily recognized paintings ever, uh, because I think it captures so much about that dynamic between human beings and God. You've got God on the one hand, and he's depicted as this powerful deity kind of moving towards Adam. He's reaching out towards Adam. He's straining towards Adam. He wants to connect with Adam. He wants relationship. He wants connection. He wants to engage with him. And then you've got Adam, He's kind of just lounging around, you know, like you almost, you could, you could Photoshop a beer in his hand and it would it'd probably look about right, you know, he's, he's on his phone or something, he's just, he's just kind of, uh, and he's got his hand, he's got the old limperist going on there and he's just like, well, meh, you know, if God wants to connect with me, okay, I'm not that worried about it, I'm not really going to overexert myself here, um, if, if it happens, great, if I connect with the creator of the universe, wonderful, if it doesn't happen, I'm not really that fast, he's just kind of nonchalant about the whole thing. And it just says something, doesn't it, about the relationship. It says a lot about us, and it says a lot about God. Now, David, who wrote this psalm, Psalm 139, uh, obviously he lived thousands of years before Michelangelo, but as you read this psalm, I mean, you get the feeling David could have been standing in the Sistine Chapel, looking up at the ceiling. The way he describes God, and he's really focused on the God side of the equation in this psalm, the way he describes God has such a resonance with this psalm. He describes God as being all-powerful. He's the almighty. He's the creator. He's this great, huge, vast God. And yet he is intensely personal. He is reaching towards each of us. He is straining towards us. He wants to connect with us. He is incredibly powerful, but he is also incredibly, incredibly personal and near to each one of us. And so David writes this psalm to to reflect on that, to reflect on who God is. And the psalm follows four different movements. Three of them reflect on who God is. And in the last one, David responds to this picture of God that that he's painting. He's really doing with words a similar thing to what Michelangelo did with paint. And so I want to just walk through the psalm with you and just look at how the psalm describes the God who is unbelievably powerful, but also unbelievably personal. To every one of us. So, in the first few verses of Psalm 139, verse 1 to 5, David describes the all knowing and loving God. 
the all-knowing and loving God. He starts by saying, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. And you notice he doesn't say, you know all things. He could have said that. Could have said, God, you know everything. That's true. God is omniscient. He knows everything there is to know. But David doesn't say that. That's not his focus. He says, God, you know me. You know me personally. God doesn't just know everything in an abstract kind of way. He knows you personally. He knows not just as a nameless kind of sea of faces, not just as a mass of humanity. He knows you individually, distinctly, personally. He knows everything there is to know about you. He knows you inside and out. He knows every wrinkle on your body, every freckle, every mole, every hair on your head, which for some of you is not that hard to count. He knows everything that's going on with your physical body. He knows everything that's going on inside of you. He knows your thoughts. He knows your heart. He knows what you're thinking even before you think it. He knows what you're going to say even before you say it. He knows those deep inclinations of your heart. You know, every mood, every emotion, those deep kind of caverns and crevices of our soul that we haven't even really fully explored yet, God knows all of that. He sees it. He sees it all. All of your deep hidden stuff, all the stuff that you kind of deep down, those deep desires or temptations, that shadow side of you that you wouldn't tell anyone else, not even the people closest to you. God knows it. He sees it. It's all just uncovered. It's all just completely exposed and laid bare before him. There's not a single part, ounce of our being that God doesn't completely and utterly see. He knows us. Now that can make you feel a little bit uncomfortable. The fact that this God who is all creating knows us so intimately because it's like, what's he going to do with this knowledge? He knows me, you know, it's not all good in there. What's going to happen? But this, I think, should be an incredibly comforting thought because not, not only does God know us completely, he loves us completely. See, if God only knew us, sorry, if God only loved us, but didn't know us completely, then we'd always be worried, wouldn't we? You know, if God loved you, but you were sort of always worried, well, if he knew this thing about me, if he knew this little detail, or if you really mess up and then you think, well, now surely God's not going to love me now. Surely now I've gone beyond his love. But the reality is God loves you completely. He knows you completely. Those two things go together. There's a worship song with a line that says, you see the depths of my heart and you love me the same. He sees the depths of your being and he loves you just the same. There's nothing that you can do to make God love you anymore. Nothing you can do to make God love you any less. You're absolutely secure in his love, even on your best day. There's nothing you can add to his love. Even on your worst day, you can never possibly fall beyond his love. You are absolutely secure in the love of God. He knows you completely and he loves you completely. And this all comes together beautifully in this uh, phrase in verse 5, where David says, You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Now that verse uh, came alive to me in a fresh way when, after the birth of our first child, Joshua. Uh, Josh was born about five weeks premature by emergency C-section. And pretty quickly after he was born, they whisked him up to the special care baby unit to make sure he was okay. He was having a bit of trouble with his breathing. And so I went off with Josh and the nurses up to the special care unit, and Anna stayed behind and recovered from surgery. And so they placed Josh in this incubator, just kind of covered over and put all these monitors on him, 
start monitoring heart rates and oxygen levels and all this stuff. And, and so I couldn't hold him because they needed him just lying there in, in order to assess him properly. So I, I just pulled up a seat and sat beside the incubator. And the incubator had these holes in the side where you can put your hand in. So the best I could do at that time was just reach my arm in, and I placed my hand, which took up most of his body at that time, uh, on top of him and just gently kind of held it there and let it rise and fall with his breathing. And, and that, that's what I could do in that moment. That was kind of my first bonding with Josh was just there with my hand upon him. And as I was just sitting there, just watching his breathing and just letting my hand rise and fall, I, the words of, of the psalm and that line came to my head, you've laid your hand upon me. This is what God has done for us. He's laid his hand. He's a loving heavenly father and he's laid his hand rising and falling with our lives, hand of love upon our life. And then a couple of days later, Josh got out of the incubator. We started putting him in a cot. And uh, then we started wrapping him. You know how you do, or some of you do, you know, wrap, the, wrap your babies up and you wrap them really tight. It's like this kind of origami art form of trying to wrap these babies so they end up like a little burrito, just really, really tight and hemmed in there. And then you sort of, you've got them. You've got this little package in your arm there and you're walking around. And, and, and I guess it's just to keep them secure and snug and this feeling of security there. And, and as, we, as we began to do this, the first line of that verse came to my mind. God says, David says, you hem me in behind and before. And I think that verse is giving us this picture that we are like those little children. We're like little babies in God's eyes. And he lays his hand upon us and he hems us in, he wraps us up, swaddles us and carries us, and keeps us secure. That's his love. That's his care for us. And it doesn't mean nothing bad's going to happen to you. It doesn't mean God's going to protect you from everything that life brings along. But it means no matter what happens, God's hand is upon your life. No matter what happens, God has laid his hand upon you, rises and falls with the rising and the falling of your life. And God swaddles you up and hems you in, and he carries you. No matter what happens, and no matter whether you feel it or not, or are aware of it or not, God's wrapped you up, hemmed you in, and he's carrying you there, helping you feel secure, helping you know that you are safe. He's got you. He's nurturing you. He'll carry you through whatever life brings. He's the all-knowing God, and he's the all-loving God. And then David goes on. So he's described the all-knowing and loving God, and then in the second part of the psalm, starting in verse 7, he describes the all-present God. He says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. Now, these are beautiful lines. These, I think these are some of the most sublime lines of poetry that you'll find in the Bible. Amazing descriptions of the way God is always there. We, can't, we just cannot escape his presence. He is always with us. But we've got to admit, don't we, that even though these are beautiful lines of poetry, sometimes there's a disconnect between what these verses say and what we actually experience in life, right? Honestly, I mean, this is beautiful stuff, but if we're honest with ourselves, a lot of the time we struggle to really experience God's presence. I mean, we might know He's there in a rational sense, that He's always with us, but we don't always feel that. A lot of the time we feel like God's just not there. We struggle to really perceive His presence. We struggle to really discern His presence. We struggle to really experience God's presence. Have you ever done one of those uh, Where's Wally books? Yeah, we've got one at home. It's a little book, which doesn't help, but it's a tiny little version of Where's Wally. There's one there for you to work on for a minute or so. Um, 
And, and so I'm not that good at them. I can look at these things for ages and never find Wally. But our kids have basically memorized the book, which I think takes the fun out of it. But I could be reading. I, I could be looking at it, and they'll just come along like, there he is. You know, turn over the page. There he is, straight away. You know, and I'm looking. I can't see him, but they're like, there he is. And I think sometimes trying to find Wally is a bit like trying to find God's presence in our lives. You know, like we know God's there, right? We know God's with us, but we just can't find him. We just cannot perceive, we cannot feel his presence a lot of the time. We know Wally's on the page, we just can't seem to find him. And then someone else, of course, comes along and they're like, there he is. You know, you know those people, they just feel like they're close to God all the time. They kind of, you know, I know where God, I just seem to be walking with God. They have this lovely, beautiful relationship. There he is. He's in my heart. I know they feel it and you don't seem to feel it. I think most people are in that category of really struggling to feel the presence of God. But the thing is, the reason for this is that we place too much emphasis on our feelings and our emotions to tell us where God is. And we rely on our moods and our emotions and our feelings as a barometer of God's presence. And so when we feel close to God, whenever those times may be, then we feel like, oh no, God is really with me now. But when we don't feel close to God, then it's like, oh, maybe he's absent. Maybe he's gone. Maybe he's abandoned me. God, why have you, why have you left me? The reality is your emotions, your moods, your feelings, they are like the waves on the surface of the ocean. They'll go up and down. They'll rise and fall. But if you go all the way down to the seabed, all the way down to the sea floor, that's where it's still. That's where it's calm. That's where God's presence resides, on the sea floor of our soul. Now, sometimes his presence might rise up to the level of our emotions, and that's great. You can have times, maybe in a worship service, maybe in your own quiet time where you feel God's presence. It's wonderful. But just because you don't feel his presence doesn't mean he's not there. It's just that his presence resides in that deepest part of our being, our soul, on the sea floor of our being. And there can be a storm on top of the water. There can be a storm in your emotions, in, in your mind, in your circumstances. It can be really, really stormy within you and around you, and yet God is still there. In your soul, it can still be calm. It can still be at rest. God hasn't gone anywhere. He is still with you. And I think we've got to spend a little less time paying attention to our emotions and being bossed around by our emotions and a little more time being attentive to our soul because this is where the presence of God resides. And sometimes we've actually got to tell our emotions what's what and say, hey, God, I, you know, I don't feel you right now. I don't feel your presence, but I know you are with me. Because you have told me in your word, there is nowhere I can go and there is nothing I can do that will ever separate me from you, separate me from your love or move me outside of your presence. We just can't do it. God is always with you, whether you feel him or not. He's the all-present God. And so David's described the all-knowing and all-loving God. He's described the all-present God. And then verse 13, he starts describing the all-creating God. And this is great stuff. In verse 13, he says, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. See, I think when we, when we think about God, we think about how amazing he is, we think about how awesome he is, often our minds go to the big stuff. You know, we think about planets we think about stars, we think about galaxies, and we think that's the stuff that really testifies to the amazingness of God. But in fact, what the psalm says, if you really want to behold the amazingness of God, don't just look to the big stuff, look to the really, really small stuff. 
Look to one of the smallest things in all creation, which is the developing of a human life in the womb. It's one of the most powerful testimonies to the presence of God. The way in which a child is formed in the womb speaks to the incredible creativity of this all-creating God. Let me just give you a little picture of, of some of this. Um, I brought a few props here. I'm glad the worship team hasn't eaten all of this stuff. But um, think about a, a baby in the womb at five weeks, okay? Five weeks gestation. They are about the size of a sesame seed. So I've got a sesame seed. You, oh, there it goes. Sorry, baby. Um, <laughs> see if I can get another one. You can't see it anyway. These things are too small. You know, just like a millimeter or so across this tiny little sesame seed. And that's a baby at five weeks, five weeks, but already at that size, this little sesame seed has got a heart. How big is the heart inside this sesame seed? If the baby's only that small, already at five weeks, the heart starts beating. Five weeks, unbelievable, this little sesame seed. And then at nine weeks, nine weeks, the baby's about the size of a grape. But already at nine weeks, that heart has divided into four chambers Already at nine weeks, this little baby has got teeth and eyes. Little grapes got teeth and eyes. Unbelievable. And then at 12 weeks, the end of the first trimester, the baby's about the size of a mandarin. And already the vital organs, the brain, the liver, the kidney, the intestines, all in place and all starting to function. At this stage, the baby's even got little toenails and little fingernails. And from this point through to when the baby is born, billions of neurons are exploding to life inside the brain of this little baby. All sorts of synapses are being made. When the baby is born, he or she is born with about 100 billion neurons in their brain. About the same number of neurons as there are stars in the Milky Way. And about all the neurons that that baby will ever have in their entire life. The journey of what happens to a human life between conception and birth is unbelievable. It is miraculous. I don't know how anyone can look at that and say there is no God. How can this be just the result of chance, random processes and natural selection? The whole thing points to the creativity of a designer, the beauty and the glory of God, the power of who God is. That's why the Bible says we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Fearfully made because just how amazing this is, how intricate the design of a human life is should cause us to tremble. It is that spectacular. It is that awesome. It should cause us to tremble in reverence and holy fear before God because it is so extraordinary. And wonderfully made because every human life is an absolute masterpiece of God. Every human life is marked and stamped with the image of God. And every human life in some ways reflects the goodness of God, reflects the love of God, reflects the creativity, the genius, the glory, the love, the beauty of the God who has made this life. And that is true regardless of how physically able-bodied that person is, regardless of how mentally capacitated or incapacitated that baby is. These verses don't just apply to people that are born able-bodied and with full brain function. Every single person, every single human life is fearfully and wonderfully made. We have a family in our church, the Robinsons. 
and Barry and Kelly, a few years ago, they had a little boy, Samuel. They already had five kids. Samuel was sixth. And during pregnancy, they picked up that Samuel had a chromosome disorder. And it meant that he was likely either to be stillborn or to last only a very short time outside the womb. And Samuel was born breathing. He was alive. And he lived for two and a bit days. 55 hours was his life on this earth. But during that time, the family had some special time with Samuel. They were able to hold him. They were able to be together as a family of eight. Uh, They were able to have some photos with him. Samuel's life is just as valuable as every other human life. Samuel was fearfully and wonderfully made, just like every single one of us. Samuel was knitted together in the womb, just like every one of us are. And the hand of God was upon his life, just as every one of ours is. These these verses, this description of God as our creator, it should lead us to hold human life as incredibly, incredibly sacred. No matter how people are born, no matter in what condition, no matter what quality of life they may have, that's why as Christians we believe in the sanctity and the sacredness of life because we didn't bring this about. This is the work of God. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. It should allow us to celebrate life and it should should allow us, cause us to treat one another with the full dignity of being God's image bearers, being fearfully and wonderfully made. We are the masterpiece of an all-creating God, every one of us. And so then, David's been describing this all-loving and knowing God. He's described the all-present God. He's described the all-creating God. And then, in these last few verses of the psalm, David stands back, and it's like he's, he's created this amazing painting with words, and then he stands back and he responds to it. He responds to this God who he's been describing. And he, and he prays this prayer at the end. In verse 23, he says, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. It's kind of like if you imagine Michelangelo's creation of Adam again, it's sort of like David's been looking at the God side of the painting and he's been beholding how amazing God is and how personally connecting God is with us, how much he desires that relationship. And then it's like David looks over at Adam and he's like, well, if that's who God is, I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be like Adam. I don't want to just be kind of unfazed by this. I don't want to be limp-wristed about this. I want to reach out to God with all that he is reaching out to me the same intensity, the same passion, the same love. If God wants to connect with me, I want to connect with God. And this is where the psalm should lead us. It should lead us to think about what is our posture towards this God. If this is who God is, if He is not only immensely powerful, but also immensely personal, what does that mean for us? What is our posture towards Him? What is your posture towards God today? Are you just kind of lying there completely disinterested? Are you just ignoring him? No time for him? Don't care about him? Not worried about him? Are you kind of like, like Adam with, it, with one hand, with one finger out, but kind of just a bit blasé? Can't really be bothered. Can't really be, be, be bothered just worrying about God, trying to connect with God. It's just not really on your register. Or are you willing to say, if this is who God is, I want to lean forward and I want to lean into this relationship with all the strength God gives me. I want to connect with God. I want to engage with him. I want to know him like he knows me. 
I want to love him like he loves me. If, if the creator of the universe wants a relationship with me, I'm in. I want this. I want to relate to him. I want this to be reciprocal. Are you willing to lean forward to reach out to God? Because he's closer than you think. And if so, then David's words can be your prayer. These verses right at the end of the psalm, they can be your words to God, where he says, search me, God, and know my heart. Why does he pray that? Why does he ask God to know my heart? You think back to the beginning of the psalm, he's already declared God knows me. He knows everything. And then at the end of the psalm, he says, God, please know me. Please know my heart. God already knows our heart. What's he asking for? Well, really, David is asking for God to reveal to him what's in his heart. Because sometimes we don't know ourselves that well. We don't see clearly what's lurking in our heart. Really what David is praying is, God, surface anything in my life that's keeping me from you. Surface anything in my life that is holding me back from really connecting to you as you want me to connect. If you look at the creation of Adam, that Michelangelo painting, you see there is just a little slither of space between God's finger and Adam's finger. They're not quite touching. It's just a little bit of air in there. And what we're praying when we pray David's prayer is, God, show me what's in that space between me and you. Show me what's keeping me from really touching you, your being, your heart. Show me what is keeping me from you. Surface that, because we're not always aware of it. We don't always see it clearly. And so as we finish this morning, I want to just give you a couple of minutes to do that, just to pray these words of David's. It's kind of a dangerous prayer because God might actually raise something in your mind. He might actually surface something in your conscience. But are you willing to put yourself in a posture for a couple of minutes where you actually say, God, if there's anything in my life that's hindering me from really knowing you as personally as you know me, I want you to bring it to my mind. I want you to bring it to my conscious awareness because I want to put that aside. And I want to connect with you. And, and who knows what it may be. It may be a habit in your life maybe a long-held pattern of thinking or speaking or just being. It may just be your ignoring of God over years and years and years, silencing His voice, squeezing that out and not caring. Maybe that's what's keeping you from Him. Or maybe just the gradual inertia of just drifting because you haven't been paying attention to that relationship. But whatever it is, just ask God to raise that and not for the purpose of feeling more guilty about it, but so that you can say, okay, God, I want to deal with that thing. I want to put that aside. And now I want to lean forward. I want to lean into this relationship with you. I want to reach out and connect with you as personally as you have connected with me. If that's your prayer, if that's your heart, whether you know God this morning or whether you've never talked to him before in your life, I encourage you to open your heart. Let God speak. Let him guide you. Let him stir your heart. Let's take a couple of minutes to do that. Let's pray. And so, Father, we want to pray now this prayer that David prayed. We want to pray these words, Lord, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. God, if there's anything in our lives this morning that is keeping us from knowing you personally, we pray you'd bring it to our minds now. We just marvel, God, at, at how much you love us, just how intimately involved you are in every single area of our lives. So often we don't realize it. We just don't see it, God, because we don't feel it. But we just, this morning, God, we are blown away by how present you are, by how wonderful you are. What a creative, awesome God. 
loving God, all-knowing God. And Father, we just in return want to give our lives to you. And we thank you that you have made it possible for us to do that because of Jesus. We thank you that through him and only through him, we really can know you in a personal way, in an intimate way. And so we step into that now, Lord Jesus. Thank you for how loved we are, how cherished we are. Thank you that you delight in us. Give us your strength to respond to you with faith and with conviction and with love. For Christ's sake, amen. This has been a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more of our teaching resources or to donate to our teaching resource ministry or for more information on Shaw Community Church, visit www.shaw.org.nz Alternatively, you can email office at shaw.org.nz or phone 09 415 0455. Thank you for listening.